0: week series on the doctrine of the Bible, biblical authority and scripture. Um, And and that may seem like um, a topic, why six weeks? Hopefully by the end of our six weeks, you will see why this is an important topic. I'd encourage you that the, the series flows together and if you miss a week, you can download it from our sermon archive website. And this morning, we're gonna look at the sort of foundational question, what is language? What are words? What is this book? More than ever in the culture, there's a lot of misunderstanding about that. And so this morning's message, the God who talks, the origin and source of language. More than ever, you'll meet people who say things like, well, that's just your interpretation, or words can mean anything you want them to mean. And so we're going to look at this sort of foundational concept that God has chosen to reveal himself in words. What, what is language? And where does it come from? And how should we use it? Out of the six weeks, this morning will easily be the most conceptual, but I hope by the end of our time, it will be very practical and applicable. The other thing I'll mention is this. If you look in the notes, there are a lot of scripture references. By the nature of being a topical message, we are going to bounce around. I would encourage you not to try to follow along unless you really want to. Um, The references are there. You can look them up later. I'll be reading them, and you can always download this from our um, website. It'll be up on Monday or Tuesday and, and listen again, but I'd encourage you to listen to what God's Word says about God's Word. On the back of the bulletin are sort of three or four key texts printed out. And that one in Hebrews 1, we'll go to three times this morning. And, and every time we go there, you can just flip over the insert and there it is. And so with that, as a word of introduction, let's dive into the God who talks, the origin and source of language. And what we're going to do is to try to look at this question of what, what does it mean to speak? And what, what is the Bible? What does it mean that the Bible is the word of God? We're to look at it in four points. And the first point is looking at God in communion with himself. God in communion with himself. Because what I'm going to argue, and I think the Bible presents, is that before God ever turns his attention to creation, before he ever makes the universe, before he ever makes man, God is a talking God. God is a communicative God. That God has eternally been in fellowship with himself forever. This is the doctrine of the trinity that forever in eternity past the father has been in a loving relationship with the son the son has been in a loving relationship with the father and they have been communicating with each other for all of eternity you think of a passage like jesus high priestly prayer in john 17 where he cries out and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, the Son was in a glorious personal relationship with the Father. And this relationship used language. In one of the few passages that we get to peek behind creation, what was God up to before he created? In Titus 1:2, we read this. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in the hopes of eternal life which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began. Before the ages began, before God created, before there was light and the universe, one member of the Trinity made a promise concerning salvation to another, almost certainly the father to the son, but we don't need to specify who's talking. The point is, we're still using language categories. The Trinity has been in communication with itself. Um, I'm I'm not suggesting that there are vocal cords and sounds moving, but language categories, signs used to express ideas were being used. And so much so is this rooted in the character of God that in John one one, we read, in the beginning, Was the Word. And I think it's important to note here that before creation, and if you keep reading in John 1, the Word's going to create all things, but before creation, Jesus is still the Word. He is not simply the Word in relationship to man, but in the beginning, as far back as you can go, the Word was there. And so the concept here is this the God who is is a talking God. The God who is, is a communicative God. The God who is, is a relational God. And this is deeply important because it means that when God comes and talks to us, when God comes and relates to us, he is not doing something fundamentally new or out of character. This is why the other major monotheistic religions have such a hard time wrestling with the doctrine that God is love, Islam and Judaism get that God is just. They get that he is holy. They get that he has a law. But without a Trinitarian concept of God, what has God been doing for all eternity past? Who has he been loving for all eternity past? Who has he been in relationship with for all eternity past? And the answer is nobody and nothing. And so because of the doctrine of the Trinity, because God exists in three persons, it means something when God says he is love, when God says he is relational, and as we see here, when God communicates. Language, the origin of language is tied up in the character and nature of God. It has always existed. Language never came into being. Communication has always been taking place, and Jesus Christ is the word of God. That passage that we spoke of in Hebrews 1. Listen to this. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son, or by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus is the word. Our God is a talking God. And this should give us great hope and encouragement because as we study language, it isn't something we made up. It isn't something fundamentally creaturely, but rather it's, it's a characteristic of God. Our God is a communicative God, our God is a relational God. Our God wants to be known. And this is good news. Well, not only that then, God in communion with himself, but what we're going to see next is that God really, his weapon of choice, if you will, his go-to tool is language. Point number two, speaking is doing. Speaking is doing, especially for God. For God to speak is to do. I want you to think about this. We don't have a lot of details from Genesis chapter 1 about how God created But the details that are given are significant. Moses, in writing the account of the creation in Genesis 1, not only tells us God created the heavens and the earth, but he tells us how. And God did not um, perform a magic ritual. He did not will it into being. He didn't create a machine that made the universe. But no, how did God create the universe? He spoke. And that's stunning. That's the power of God's word when he speaks. When God speaks into nothing, the nothing obeys and becomes everything. That's the power of God's word. He created the universe by speaking it into existence. And how does God govern? And how does he maintain the universe? Well, again, we just saw that in Hebrews 1, 2, that Jesus upholds the universe by the power of his word. God is continually holding together this universe, this created order through the power of his word. Psalm 147 puts it this way of how God governs the universe with the power of his word. He sends out his command to the earth. His word runs swiftly. He gives snow like wool. He scatters frost like ashes. He hurls down his crystals of ice like crumbs. Who can stand before his cold? He sends out his word and melts them. He makes his wind blow and the waters flow. He declares his word to Jacob, his statutes and rules to Israel. He has not dealt with any other nation. They do not know his rules. Oh, praise the Lord. How does God govern? With the power of his word. Jesus upholds all things by the power of his word. Psalm 33, six through nine. By the word of God, the heavens were made. And by his breath of his mouth, all the hosts... He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. He puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. That's the power of God's word. Not only is God a talking God, but God uses his word and the power of his word to create all things and to continue their existence. This this world is holding together. Gravity is at work in this room because of the power of the Word of God. That that is the foundational importance of language. The language, the speech of God, is why you exist and why you continue to exist, and why I exist and why I continue to exist. It undergirds all of reality. It is the reason there is anything. How does God give life to his people? How does God heal and revive his people? We've seen already he created the universe with his word. He upholds the universe with his word. How does he give life and heal the wounded? Again, with his word. We know in John 3 that the new birth is a result of being born again by the spirit. But the tool that the spirit uses is the word of God. James 1, 18, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. By his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth. 1 Peter 1, to 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God if you're here today and you're born again God gave you life through his word the word of God creates the people of God what, what, what tool what mechanism does God use to give life to the dead his word even Jesus standing outside of Lazarus' tomb speaks and the dead man rises up and obeys I want you to get this, this that language and words are something at the heart of who God is. He, he communicates amongst himself, and his go to tool, his go to weapon of choice in his, in his governing of all things is his word. One other, one other passage, um, not in your notes on this point, is Isaiah 55, a familiar passage. Seek the Lord while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that for which I purpose. and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Just as the rains go out and water the earth and life results and plants grow and animals drink and live just as the rains go out and and give life wherever they go. So God says his word will not return void. It will accomplish his life-giving purpose. Okay, so God creates with his word. He sustains with his word. He gives life with his word. He makes war with his word. At the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, Revelation, Chapter 19 the nations of the world are gathered together against the lord and his anointed the fulfillment of psalm 2 the lord jesus shows up clad in white riding on a horse with the name above all names with a host of heavenly hosts and he arrives and in revelation 19:15 we read this from his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And then a little later in verse 21. And the rest were slain by the sword that came from the mouth of him who was sitting on the horse. How does Jesus fight his enemies? How does he make war with them? With the sword of his mouth, the words of his mouth. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. The sword that Jesus uses, his word The the hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Martin Luther got this right. He talks about our ancient foe, the devil. One little word shall fell him. So from start to finish, from Genesis to Revelation, from creation to destruction, from giving of life to sustaining all life, God uses his word to govern all things. So this is why I say we have the talking God. God. The God who speaks. The God of words. And which now turning to sort of point three. Sets us up for the talking God talks to man. See up to this point really has just been introduction. This is where we're going to spend most of our time. is, Is what does it mean now for this talking God to talk to man. The reason why I set this up is so often. In the discussion of scripture. The assumption people make is that words are frail broken creaturely things and that God is kind of doing his best with language. You know, he's, he's kind of co-opted it and he'll make it work somehow. But I want you to stop and think, who's the first person to speak human words? God. In Genesis 1, he speaks to the man and woman and they understand. Language is not something God co-ops. it is his gift to man. God speaks to Adam. He uses words in Genesis chapter 1. God intends to be known through words, and because he is omnipotent, what he intends, he will accomplish. And so the talking God talks to man. And this, again, is stunning because because God is outside of creation, because God is so vast, so omnipotent, eternal, there's no way we could know him unless he chose to make himself known, unless God chose to to reveal Himself, unless He chose to con down and condescend to us, we would never know Him. He would be a mystery to us. And so, the amazing good news, teaching every one of us, and the amazing good news to the world, is God wants to be known. God means to be known. And the the way that He has primarily revealed Himself is through words. know, one of the really interesting things about the second commandment, the commandment against graven images, means that for Israel and the Israelites, and this is the first time in human religion, it was forbidden for anyone to try to approach God through a statue, through an image, through an icon. No, the only way you could approach the Hebrew God was through Words. The only way you could learn anything about him was to have a priest or someone read his words. And you could approach him with words, but there could be no symbols, no signs, no images. And so from the very beginning when God reveals himself, he reveals himself through speech. He speaks to Adam. He speaks to Abraham. He speaks to Moses. He initiates relationship through words. And he's initiated relationship with us through his word. So so sometimes God comes through direct acts of speech, as we've seen with Adam and Abraham and Moses. God just talking out of a burning bush. God just talking out of nothing. And in each case, he's able to communicate, and man understands and responds in obedience and faith. And sometimes God doesn't speak directly, but rather he sends a prophet. There's a uh, handout at the back of the room, there's about 30 copies of this that really sort of unpacks point number three here a little more fully with all the verses printed out. It's in the back. You can grab it if you want. But the point is this, that as you read through the Bible and you look at those times when God speaks verbally, like to Abraham or Moses, or whether God sends a prophet, he treats it the same way. It's him talking. So when Samuel goes and confronts Saul and warns him, and Saul ignores the warning, Samuel comes back and says, Why have you ignored the word of God, the voice of the Lord? And Saul does not say, Well, God didn't talk to me, you did. It's understood that when the prophet sent by God speaks for God, and he does it properly, it is God talking. This is why the expression in the mouths of prophets over 400 times in the Old Testament, thus says the Lord. Thus says the Lord. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, 18 to 19. The Lord promises, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth. Now, notice, God claims not just that the prophet will have his message, but his very words. So you can't say, well, the prophets had a message to communicate, but it was really up to them to find the words to say it. No, time and time again, God says, I will put my words in your mouth. So there can be false prophets, but when a prophet comes from God, functioning with integrity, it is God's words that are spoken. Jeremiah 1.9, when Jeremiah says, but I am but a youth, the Lord says in Jeremiah 1.9, then the Lord put his hand out and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. So there's no reason to think that there's any difference of authority whether God speaks out of thin air or whether God sends a prophet. Because God promises that when he sends a prophet, not only will he oversee that the message is communicated, but down to the very words, the prophet will speak the word of God. This is why the scriptures say over and over again, thus says the Lord, and the prophet speaks. And then the Lord initiates a move from oral revelation to written revelation. So sometimes the Lord instructs a prophet to write down the message. We see that in Exodus 32. The Lord said to Moses, write these words For in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. Again, specifying words, the accuracy of Scripture. Write down the very words that I have given you to say. Jeremiah 30, verse 2. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write in a book all the words that I have spoken to you. Or Isaiah 30, verse 8. And now go, write it down for them on a tablet and inscribe it in a book that it may be for the time and to come as a witness forever. You see, the Lord has chosen to reveal himself to us primarily through words. And sometimes he speaks directly. At other times he sends his messenger, the prophet. And other times he instructs, he initiates the prophets to write down what he has given them to say. And in every instance, there's, there's no a hint that somehow clarity is lost, that, that it's, it's hard to understand. And the notion that we may have, if only God could talk to me, he, he has. He's given you his word. And there's no difference. There's no difference of authority. The same God who spoke the universe into existence, the same God who came and spoke to Abraham, is talking in his word if we'll listen. And finally... God spoke to us most clearly and most fully in his son. This again is that passage in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. And and the writer of Hebrews is aware that God has used many means to speak to his people. And he writes, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And and if you want to make a list, you could also add to that he sent angels, angels, he spoke through Balaam's donkey. One time, a, a sort of a magic finger appeared and wrote on the wall of Balthasar in Babylon. The Lord himself with his own finger wrote out the Ten Commandments. You could make a long list of various ways through dreams that the Lord has spoken to his people. We've looked at the primary ones, direct speech, prophets, and writing. And so the writer of Hebrews sums up all of these various ways, and he says, God spoke to our fathers in many ways and in many times, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son. And here's the point. Jesus Christ is the supreme and final revelation of God. He is the um, coup de grace. He is the perfect manifestation of God. The revelation of God. And, and here you might say, ah, ah, well, here God is not communicating through words. He's communicating in a person. Well, that's true. But aside from the few thousand people who for 33 years had access to Jesus Christ walking around on earth. Every other person who wants to know Jesus has to come to Jesus through the words about Jesus, through the testimony of the gospels, through the explanations of the apostle Paul of what Jesus did and what it meant. Jesus Christ himself, the word of God, is mediated to us by words. There is no coming to Jesus. There is no knowing who Jesus is without the testimony of God's word. You can't just sort of go off in a field somewhere and just sort of learn who Jesus is. God's word reveals and mediates Jesus. And what's what's amazing about God's Word is according to Hebrews three seven, even now, when God's word is read, God is speaking. Listen to this. In Hebrews three seven, the writer is about to quote Psalm ninety five. And he introduces the quotation, and the writer of Hebrews introduces his quotations in a number of ways. In chapter 1, it is written somewhere, which lets a lot of us off the hook who've forgotten the uh, references. You can, can following in good good company, say, "Eh, it is written somewhere. But in chapter 3, verse 7, there's an amazing quotation of Psalm 95, where the writer says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your heart now in the Greek that, that tense is emphatically present tense as the Holy Spirit is saying not as the Holy Spirit said as the Holy Spirit is saying what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this where Psalm 95 is read the Holy Spirit is speaking where Scripture is read God is speaking and that should make us tremble this, this is why we put such a centrality around studying the Bible in this church. If you're new here and you're thinking, man, these guys spend a lot of time reading the Bible. They spend a lot of time studying the Bible. They spend a lot of time listening to some guy go on and on about what the Bible means. The reason why is when God's word is spoken and when God's word is understood, God is still talking. It's not that God spoke sometime in the past and this is some testament to that. This is God talking through his word. And we've seen the power of God's word to create, to give life, to sustain. Which brings us then to the conclusion here. In every instance, and here's the big point, in every instance, God treats his word is the representation of himself. To disbelieve or disobey anything God says is to disbelieve or disobey God. There is not the slightest hint of a lisp as God speaks to man. Let me just read that again. In every instance, whether it's God speaking audibly, whether it's God sending a prophet or a dream, whether it's God's word in writing, or whether it's Jesus Christ speaking to people on the streets of Jerusalem, in every instance, God treats his word as the representation of himself. Therefore, to disbelieve or disobey anything God says is to disbelieve or disobey God. What God says is how you treat my word is how you treat me. How you trust my word is how you trust me. How you receive my word is how you receive me. This is why Jesus in John 8 can say to the Pharisee, to the Jews, this is why you cannot abide my teaching. Because you're of your father the devil. The the reason you can't stomach what I have to say, the reason why you hate what I'm saying, is because you're on the other team. Conversely, Jesus can say in John 10, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. What you do with God's word indicates what you do with God. God treats his word as a representation of himself. You think of the, uh, the rich man of Lazarus who died in the story that Jesus told. A stunning story about the power and authority of God's word. If you remember, the rich man died and Lazarus, who was sitting outside... Covered in source, died, and, and Lazarus goes up to be in paradise, and the rich man goes to a place of torment, and he calls out, Father Abraham, we ascend Lazarus to, to dip his finger in water and put it on my tongue. He still thinks he's in charge. He still thinks he's the boss, and Abraham says, No, that's that's impossible. And then The rich man says, well then send Lazarus back to warn my brothers. If the divide between he and I where we are is so great that he can't cross it, at least send him back to warn my brothers lest they come to this place of torment. Now notice the rich man's desire is a great desire. He wants his brothers not to perish and go to hell. Abraham's response is stunning. They have the prophets, let them receive them. And then the rich man says, No, Father Abraham, but if you send back Lazarus, if one rises from the dead, they will believe. Abraham says, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, they won't believe even if someone rises from the dead. Because what you do with God's word is what you do with God. And you can't add to the power of God's word. God is speaking in his word. The same word that made the universe, that same power, the same word that gives life and gave life to us, is still at work in this word. You you can add nothing to the power and the authority of the Bible. Nothing. And there's not the slightest hint of a lisp as God speaks to men. And remember, God intended to be known. He intended to be in a relationship with us and his tool of choice. He chose language as the instrument primarily. It was he who chose, I will primarily relate and reveal myself to these people through words. And so we should trust that words are up to the task, that they are not so weak and so frail and so broken that they can't really do anything. Um, there's, There's a temptation and sort of in mock humility to say, well, God is so wonderful. You know, words fail. We couldn't possibly say anything meaningful about him. Well, we will never with words fully sum up who God is, but we can speak meaningfully about who God is because God has spoken meaningfully about who he is in his word. Which brings us now to the final point, and hopefully we're going to sort of land the plane of the application, the so what. If all this is true, if God is a language user, if his primary tool to work his mighty acts is his word, and if he has come and talked to us and spoken to us most perfectly in his son, then what is our responsibility as speaking image bearers of God? We're going to look at our responsibility as speaking image bearers of God. Because we have this tremendous privilege. We share with God the ability to speak. He spoke first to us, He initiated. It's His gift to us. But one of the ways we can be godly, one of the ways we can model who God is, we can reflect who God is, one of the ways we bear the image of God is we too, like the talking God, speak. Just as He is the foundation for our existence, because He is, we exist. So too, because He speaks, we can speak. And so, what is our responsibility? It's along two points. The first, to hear, receive, treasure, and obey His Word. To hear, receive, treasure, and obey his word. That's our first responsibility. If there is a talking God, and there is, and if the talking God's word is mighty and powerful, and it's his primary means of accomplishing his purposes, and it is, and if this talking God has made us in his image so that we can communicate with him, and he has spoken to us, then we must hear his word, receive it, not reject it, treasure it, prize it, hide it in our hearts, and obey it. And this is the uniform testimony of Scripture. On the back of your handout, Deuteronomy six is written out. Listen to this. Read along with me here. Deuteronomy six, four to nine. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Do you get the picture? These words that God has spoken, I want you to just live them. I want them to be everywhere you look. I want them on your hand. I want them on your doorpost. I want you thinking about them when you get up i want you meditating on them when you go to sleep i want them out coming on your lips as you talk to other people Do you get the idea of the totality of life here governed and immersed in the word this is this is god's instruction for israel if they're going to keep his covenant if they're going to be faithful if they're going to remain joined to him by faith then they will be a people of the word or go a little later in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 32. It's there written again on the back of the bulletin. When Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, so it's the end of the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy is Moses' sort of farewell addresses, given orally and then written down afterwards. And so when he had finished, here we are at the end of the book, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today that you may command them to your children, that they may be careful to do all the words of this law, for it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. Moses says, hey, take this treasure, take this carefully, hide it in your heart. This is your life. That's how scripture Exhorts us to respond when God talks. Because his word gives life. We've seen that. His word gives life. Isaiah 66, again written there, verses 1 and 2, another just amazing passage. The Lord starts off, he's gonna explain how high and exalted he is, and then he's gonna talk about the one he dwells with thus says the lord heaven is my throne the earth my footstool what is this house that you would build for me and what is this place of my rest all these things my hand is made and so all these things came to be declares the lord but this is the one to whom i will look you're not going to impress god by making him something big how you impress god How's you, How are you going to draw his eye to you this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. You're not going to impress God with, with big things you're making and doing. You're going to impress God. You're going to draw his eye to you. He's going to be with you. If you are humble and contrite in spirit and you tremble at his word, that is, you take it seriously and reverently and with the honor and the authority that it deserves. You don't play fast and loose with the Bible, receiving the passages you like and ignoring the ones you don't like. You don't make a Jefferson Bible where you cut out the parts that offend you. You tremble at his word and you receive it whole. Negatively, one final example of this in in Thessalonians, we see why people who perish, perish. In 2 Thessalonians 2 9 to 12, the coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Why are they perishing? Again, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth. But it took pleasure in unrighteousness. Why do the people who perish, perish? They don't love the truth. They don't cling to the truth. They hear the truth, and like the seed that is scattered, it doesn't plant in the soil, and the birds come and take it away. That's why they perish. So what we do with God's word is what we do with him. How we treat God's word is how we treat him, and if we believe the Bible is what it says it is, if we believe the Bible is God's word, then the only proper response is to hear and to receive to treasure, and to obey his word. There's a second implication of this foundation of language, and that is, as image bearers, as those who turn around and speak, we should take our own use of language reverently and fearfully. Remember, we're made in God's image. And so his word has power to create, and to give life, and to wound, and to sustain. So does ours. Oh, not to the extent or the degree which God's word does. But listen to the testimony of Proverbs 10, verse 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Proverbs 12, 18. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Again and again and again and again, the scriptures testify to the power of our words, the ability of our words to give life or to wound James 3 tells us, like, a forest fire is the power of the tongue. And so, we get this honor and this privilege of being made in God's image, and we get this honor and privilege of speaking because he speaks, and then the Bible has an awful lot to say about how we speak, about what the implications are of our use of words, this is why um, in Proverbs 1821, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. A good storyteller can get you caught up in an imaginary world. See, God's word, when he speaks, creates real worlds. Our words is an echo of that. Model that still. The creative power of words. The life-giving power of words. The wounding power of words. How many of you can think of a friendship, a relationship, a marriage that was destroyed because of one untimely, harsh, critical, or cruel word that was never resolved, that was never repented of, and it split a relationship, it split a marriage, it split a family. There's great power in our words, and consequently, there's a great importance to how we use our words. This is why Jesus says in Matthew twelve thirty-five to 37, the good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words, you will be condemned. Words of our lips reflect what's going on in our heart. The evil person out of the evil inside brings up evil words. The, the good person out of the good inside brings up good. Now, this isn't how you're saved. You're saved by trusting in Jesus alone. You're saved by, by, by faith, trusting in the work of Christ. But the words that come out of your mouth indicate whether you are alive or dead. The words that come out of your mouth are kind of like the fruit on a fruit tree. They indicate whether it's an apple tree or a thorn bush, a plum tree, or Thistles. The fruit reveals the inner nature, the inner character. So Jesus can say, make no mistake, every careless word will be given an account for. Because language is sacred. Our use of words is sacred. I mean, the vast majority of anything we have to do that is of any significance in this life has to do with words. Think about it. How can you raise up children without words? How can you encourage one another without words? How can you share the gospel message without words? I'm not saying that all we do is words. There needs to be acts of love, acts of kindness. There needs to be people coming and and helping someone move. That needs to take place. But but seriously, central to what we do as a church, central to what we do in glorifying God is our use of words, our use of language, to encourage, to instruct, to rebuke, to, to weep with those who weep, to pray with those who pray to share the gospel to the world. Words. We are a people of words. We should be a people of words. This is why the Christian church has been on the forefront of the push for literacy since the church began. Because there is no knowing God without access to language. There is no communicating his word where there is no language. And so our, our use of words, our use of language needs to be taken seriously. In fact, really, the work of the church and why so much of what we do even here on a Sunday morning, singing words to God, hearing words spoken from God, is what, according to Ephesians, will build the church up in love. Listen to this He, that is Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints to the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So we are no longer children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. What he's saying is Jesus when he ascended by giving his Holy Spirit equipped men in the church to to lead in teaching roles and shepherding roles and pastoring roles and that was done so the entire body could be equipped for the work of the ministry it would not stay in immaturity the victim of every false teaching that comes along and how is this done rather verse 15 rather speaking the truth in love we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. How does the body build itself up in love? How do we mature and grow as Christians? We speak truth to each other. We speak God's truth to each other. Whether it's a word of encouragement, a word of instruction, a word of rebuke, a word of exhortation, a word of sympathy. We speak. It's not all we do. There are acts of love, acts of kindness, acts of giving. Absolutely. But central and indispensable to what we do is the ministry of words that we are all called to. Because we are God's image bearers. It's only natural that the God who talks, the God who is relational, the God who, his primary tool is words. It's only natural that the people made in his image follow that same pattern. And he has spoken. And in the coming weeks, we'll look at this book. And next week, we'll answer the question, why this book and not another? Why this book and not the Koran? Why this book and not the additional books that the, the Roman Catholics have in their Bible? And we'll deal with that next week. So uh, bring your questions for that. But I hope we can leave today understanding the privilege and the responsibility, the honor of being image bearers who speak. And that there is a God who is living and good and wants to be known, who has spoken to us. We have a responsibility to hear and receive and treasure his word. Let's close in a word of prayer as we prepare for communion. Lord God, we want you to speak today through your word, in your word, and by your word to us, Lord. We could not know you if you did not choose to be known. We could not approach you if you did not first draw near to us and your son. Lord, you sent your son to die for us while we were yet your enemies you put into play the, the, the rescue plan that saved us that redeemed us and you've given us your word and your Holy Spirit would help us to be a people of the word and, and let our study let our steeping in your word so affect the words of our mouth and our tongue that we become true speakers that our words give life that our words encourage, that our words model your words so that you would be glorified and that the world would know who you are. In Jesus' name, amen.